Hey. How's it going? Hey. hey. You guys will be thinking that soon. All right. So, welcome to Wednesday night church. I I know, right? Yeah. I'm uh, continuing in the book of Acts. And, um, you know, last week we uh, had a special speaker. Marcus came and spoke to us. And so um, I'm continuing with where we left off in Acts. So um, I'm just going to pray real quick. (sighs) Father God, I just thank you for tonight. God, I thank you for this message that you've prepared, Lord, and I pray for our hearts and our minds that we would receive what you have for us, Father God. And I come against every lie and everything of the enemy, Lord, that's here to deceive, that's here to divide in the name of Jesus, and I cast it out, and I command it to leave this place, God, that we would have ears to hear, eyes to see, Father, hearts to receive what you have for us tonight, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. All right, so we are in Acts of the apostles. Chapter 17, I'm going to start in verse 22 and I'm going to finish up the chapter. So it says, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you, God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needs anything, since he gives to all breath and all things. And he has made one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devisings. Truly these times are expected from men and their response to God's plan of salvation and the judgment to come. Why? Because they had false ideas of who God was. They had false ideas of salvation. You know, and and a lot of other religions had an idea of salvation. It was just wrong. So Paul begins to relate to them the full gospel of Jesus, not a quip phrase to lure them into serving dumbed-down definition of God. Paul wanted them to know the fullness of the truth so that they would not mingle their ideas and philosophy with Christianity. They did anyways. Because immediately we saw false teachers entering in the church, preaching another Jesus and another gospel. People with itching ears. Second Corinthians 11.4 says, For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you put up with it. Paul, what Paul is saying here, he's saying, ironically, you put up with it. He says, he's not saying you just tolerate it. He said you have respect to it. Why? Because they have itchy ears. Right? Because itchy hear people, tell me something new. Tell me something new. Tell me something new. 
I'm going to tell you about the gospel. And the gospel is not John 3.16. This is a portion of the gospel. Gospel is not Acts 2.38, as in the church I got saved in. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the mission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's, it's part of it, but it's not the whole gospel. Or John 3.5, you must be born again. You must be born of the water and even of the spirit or you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That's a portion of the gospel. The gospel's not good news. You don't have to live under Jewish law anymore. The Old Testament's dumb. That's not the gospel. And these these scriptures, these are all key ingredients, but they're incomplete. And so say I was to give you two ingredients to a recipe. Say I gave you two eggs and a stick of butter. What am I making? You have no idea because I didn't give you the rest of the recipe. The gospel is not just good news. God loves you. Believe in Jesus. It's much more than that. The gospel includes all the teachings of Christ and the apostles recorded in scripture. And we are to share the full gospel. The full truth. Not skipping steps and only giving others a part of what they need. If you do that, you're considered a thief and a robber. You're keeping back part of something from them. I'd liken it to if I came and I was going to give you a gift and say, I'm going to give you a gift. And I told you, I'm going to give you a new car. And you'd be like, oh, this is so great. And you got the new car and it didn't have any tires. It was missing an engine. I took out the engine. I took out the steering wheel. It's an incomplete gift. And that's what we do when we leave out portions of the gospel. What good is it? It's incomplete. They have part of what they need, but not the whole thing. And we don't give partial truths. Partial truth is a lie. You don't just give part of the gospel. We give the full gospel. We give the full truth. Why do I tell you this? Because we need to become acquainted with the genuine so we can recognize the fake. And I think Pastor Jay brought that up last week and or whenever last time he preached and he talks about that of how uh, people that deal with money, how they recognize a fake, they deal so much in the genuine when they say, can I just look at a fake and they know it's fake. You should, you should deal so much in the genuine when you hear anything, it should prick your ear and say, that's not of God. Because there's a bunch of gospels mentioned in the Bible. There's the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. It's in Revelation 2.15. That's a different gospel. There's the doctrine of Jezebel mentioned in Revelation 2.20. Do y'all know the name Jezebel in Hebrew means pure, means virgin. Isn't that interesting? Doctrine of Jezebel. How about something that looks pretty, look, appears good? A doctrine of demons in 1 Timothy 4.1. There's a doctrine of Balaam in Revelation 2.14. And these are all perverted gospels. And guess what? They stemmed from Christianity. With people who mingled worldly ideas and concepts in the church. And guess what? The first and second century. 
It, well, we, there's nothing new under the sun. Right. We hear things now and we're like, oh my gosh, that's a new doctrine. No, it's not. It's an old doctrine. Yeah. That's just never gone away. Yeah. That's come down through the ages and we've just received it again. The perversion of Christianity started immediately in the first and second century. Galatians 1, 6, and 7, Paul says, I marvel that you are, you are turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Yes. So it's a different gospel. He said, it's not really another gospel, but people are troubling you and you want to pervert the gospel of Christ. It's a perverted gospel. It's a different gospel. And many of these so-called gospels have their origin, uh, their origins in Gnosticism. And, and anybody know what Gnosticism is? And I've, I, 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 you know, I'm teaching um, a, a class on Revelation that's coming up, and so I've been really, really, really dealing with this Gnosticism because it really infiltrated the first and century church. These ideas of Gnosticism, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna give you a little bit of context here. Now, now, all of these false teachers, they did not see themselves as anti-Christian or unchristian. They saw themselves as inspired teachers filled with the charismatic spirit. That's how they saw themselves. And everything was a new revelation. Be careful of anything that says new revelation. They taught a progressive doctrine of accommodation to their surrounding Societies. So think about their culture mixing in Greek, Roman, and other pagan belief and ideas about who God is and his plan of salvation. Gnosticism developed in the same places as dawning Christianity. Gnostic teachers claim to have secret knowledge about the creation of the world. They say, I know more things than I, I have these deep things, these new revelations. They had secret knowledge of the creation of the world and the purpose of life. They competed with the apostles. And uh, Gnostic groups seized on bits of Christianity, but tended to cut it off from its historical source, challenging and redefining scripture. Gnostic teaching was a particular threat to Christianity because it had the illusion it was Christian doctrine. It referred to scriptures. It referred to the teachings of Christ while twisting and perverting the original intent of the meaning of the word of God. And one of the earliest Gnostic teachers was a guy named Simon Magus. And you might have recognized him in Acts 8.23. He's Simon the sorcerer. He's the first recorded Gnostic in scripture. Right? And when you read about him, he was attracted to the signs and wonders. He was attracted to these things. Right? And um, Peter, Peter like, had some harsh words for him. He said, you are not of God. What you're doing is not of God. That is not of God. And although he's continued to follow Peter around and his, um, and his uh, follower and the disciples around, he promoted a message that was subversive and radically different. From the apostles' doctrine. Gnosticism is anti scripture, it is anti God, it is anti law, it is anti Christ, yet its proponents claim to be true Christians. There was a guy, Marcion, and guess what? He was a disciple of Simon, the Simon that I just told you about. And Marcion, he was an original, he was an original member of the Christian community. How do we know this? We've got historical documents. We have historical books. Maybe you guys should research 
Christianity. Yeah. See the historical fathers and how our, how our churches were in the beginning. So Marcion was this guy that, that he claimed to be a member of the Christian community. He wrote and traveled widely in the second century. This is only in year 200 after the church. This is early church we're talking about. He wrote a book called Antithesis, and it contained ideas that subverted and reversed the meaning of Scripture. He produced a canon that left out the Old Testament, because he said, this is your Bible now. He produced a canon that said, this is the true Bible. And it left out Old Scripture, it left out Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because they were too Jewish. He eliminated the whole Old Testament because he felt it was a record of Jehovah's crimes against humanity. How about, have you heard this? We're just red letter Christians. There's nothing new under the sun, folks. These are not new ideas. These are old demonic things that have entered the church for two thousands of years. Listen to this. Some of the most controversial teachings of the Gnostics had to do with the lifestyle they advocated. Marriage and procreational sex were scorned as the distractions of a wicked God. So Marcion advocated self-denial, right? So he said, you should not marry, you should be celibate. So when you see, when you see Paul talking about, you know, in, in these times, the teachers will teach you to not marry, right? That's what he's talking about. That's what was going on right then. They were introducing these doctrines saying, you're, not supposed to, you're supposed to be celibate, you're not allowed to marry. And then there's other ones that advocated just the opposite of that, that was free love, under grace, we can live however we want to live. Sex, go for it. God doesn't care. He loves you. No, he does care. The Gnostics employed uh, things that justified women's headship, the goddess character of the Holy Spirit, the moral appropriateness of abortion. There was cultural things that the Gnostics brought into Christianity. See, there's nothing new under the sun. When we hear these things now, I'm like, oh, that's, my mind is like, oh, that's Marcion. Marcion taught that. That's not new. That's old. So what is the gospel and how do we recognize it? First of all, the gospel was foreordained. Yes. Yes. It was foreordained. I heard a pastor recently say that you should unhitch from the Old Testament scripture. That's Marcion night. He did away with Old Testament scripture. And I've heard so many pastors and preachers and folks, we are in a time where you can hear everything on the internet. You can go and read and hear and listen. Oh, listen to this guy. And I'm like, you better not listen to that guy. You better not listen to that preacher. Jesus is God in the flesh, the same God in the Old Testament. He is not same. He's not a new God. John 1, 1 through 5 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. 
Paul said, Paul of uh, Romans 1, 6 says, A bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. It was foreordained. Christ, Christ was foreordained. Like the cross didn't like, oh, God's like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? I should have to do something. It was foreordained. It always has been in the mind of God. He was born of the seed of David according to promise, declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you are also the called of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 9, 6 is a very popular scripture. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. This is Isaiah. It's thousands of years ago. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He always was. He always was. It's foreordained. And God has had this plan of salvation from the beginning. It's not a new plan. It's an ancient plan that God prepared for a certain place in a certain time. And this is foundational. You must understand the true nature and character of God. Otherwise, you are just worshiping a golden calf. When you read about the golden calf, did you know they called it Elohim? They called it God. The God of heaven and earth. They called it Elohim. And Aaron calls it Yahweh. They called it God and they worshiped a golden idol and they danced before it. And if it's not the God of the Bible, you can come worshiping and you can raise your hand. But if it's not the God of the Bible, it's just a false idol. The gospel includes faith in the literal death, resurrection, and return of Christ to judge. And the cross is foundational. It is fundamental to the gospel. Jesus died. He was buried. He rose from the dead. He is alive forever seated at the right hand of the Father, and He is returning. I heard a famous pastor say recently, Jesus is not your judge. And and I I guarantee you, there's some people here that have been listening to this guy. Acts 17.31 says, Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this by raising him from the dead. Jesus Christ was literally raised from the dead. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He physically died. He was buried and he rose and he's seated at the right hand of Father ever to intercede. And he's coming back. That's part of the gospel is that Christ is coming back. First Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to scriptures, and that he was buried and that he arose again the third day according to the scriptures. And grace was extended to all mankind on the cross. To all mankind on the cross. But we appropriate that grace through faith. Otherwise, everybody would be saved. 
Because there's a teaching out there. It's called universalism. Every, it's, it's done. You're all saved. You're all good. That's not what Christ taught. That's not what he taught. We cannot earn this. There's no good works we can do to be saved. We must place our complete trust and faith in Christ. And one day he will return and we will all be judged. And you will either hear, depart from me, you who work in lawlessness, or we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm going for the second option. Revelation 19.11 says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. So if this Jesus that you're believing in doesn't judge and doesn't make war, it's not the Jesus of the Bible. That's what he's coming back for. Romans 2.16, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. According to my gospel. He's going to judge our secrets. That means he knows every part of my heart. He knows my intentions. He knows my motives. doesn't matter what you say. If your heart's not lined up with it. Because there's a day of judgment. And any gospel that does not include judgment is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we forget about that sometimes. He's coming back. And if you're not prepared, if you're not in him, if you're not living the way you're supposed to be living and doing what he's asked you to do till he returns, you're going to be found wanting. I can show you lots of scriptures. Come to me afterwards. There's a literal hell. There is a literal heaven and there is a literal hell. And hell was not prepared for man. It was prepared for the demons. But God said, anybody that doesn't have Jesus Christ is not going to be in heaven. Period. And we want to say, oh, a loving God wouldn't do that. And I'm like, read your Bible. The gospel includes repentance and remission of sins. And a repentance is a changed heart and mind which leads to a changed life. Jesus said you must be born again. Repentance reveals if we truly have faith in God's gift of grace. At one time, confession with no change in your life is a false gospel. If there's no repentance, if there's no change, you don't have salvation. A confession with no change is nothing. My Bible says faith without works is dead. That means if there's no change in your life, if there's no repentance in your life, if you don't show that you have changed your heart and changed ways, it's a false gospel. And you've received a false Jesus. A Jesus that forgives without repentance is false. Otherwise you'd all be saved. And here's what happens. I'll read the scripture. Acts 17.30. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. He said in times past before Christ, he overlooked a lot of stuff. He said, but not anymore. It was too high of a cost. It was a high price. He, He commands, he commands all men everywhere to repent. 
So if, and repentance is not just saying you're sorry. It's a changed life. It's a changed mind. It means you've changed directions. Luke 24, 46 and 47. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance... And remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And this is, this is that thing where sin comes into play. Because when you want to hold on to your sin, you will find a doctrine that supports your lifestyle. That's what happens. When you don't want to give up that sin, you will go and you will find a doctrine that supports what you're doing. That's my doctrine. And that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is not his gospel. And there are three scenarios in a believer's life in relation to sin. Those who completely choose to overlook it because they have a seared conscience. Yeah. Jeremiah eight twelve. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No. They were not at all ashamed. These are people that knew better. Yeah. Nor did they know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. In the time of their punishment, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. Says the Lord. And second thing is those who buy into the lie that we will always remain a sinner. That somehow the blood of Jesus is power enough, powerful enough to set us free from the penalty of sin, but not the bondage of sin. These do not believe it is necessary to go your way and sin no more. Was Jesus lying? Because he said that. He said it on a couple different occasions. So either he was going to provide a way for us to go our way and sin no more. Or he was lying, basically. And Paul addressed this mindset in Romans chapter 6, 1 and 2. Right? Do we have that one? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Mm. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer? Actually, and and I don't even like that, certainly not. In King James it says, God forbid. Because it's a strong strong word. It says, God forbid that we should even do that. God forbid that we should even think that way. God forbid. And the third are those who struggle to break free from sin. But your heart breaks when you fall into sin and you are kept in the bondage of guilt and condemnation. These people, you have to believe God's word of forgiveness and walk in it. Because it's repentance and remission of sin. means if you repent, he remits it. You just have to accept it by faith. You accept it by faith that God has washed you, that God has cleansed you, that you don't have to go back to that. That through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can truly overcome that. You're no longer in bondage to it. He didn't come just to set you free from the penalty of sin. It was the bondage of sin. From the bondage of sin. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, notice there's a big if there. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He says, if you confess, you will be forgiven. That's the remission part. He says, preach repentance and remission of sins. So you got to preach hard. Like, you need to repent of your sin. 
And if you repent though, man, it feels so good. It feels so good to be remitted of my sin, to be cleansed before him, to be made a new creation, to be clean and pure and right in in his eyes. That I no longer have to be in shame or guilt any longer. And set free whom the son set free is free indeed. That's free from sin. It has no longer any hold on us. The Bible says when you sin, it's because you give in to your lust. The gospel is one of holiness. The gospel is a gospel of godliness. So any teacher that tells you you can continue to live a life of sin and remain in salvation is a liar. That's a gospel of accommodation. It's lawlessness. They were the antinomians. These were the Nicolaitans. They were antinomians. It means they were anti-law. The gospel is according to godliness. Titus 2, 11 and 12 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And what does this grace teach? What does this gospel teach? It teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. The gospel is according to godliness. 1 Timothy 6, 3 and 5 says, If anyone teaches otherwise, he says anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is in accordance with godliness, it says he is proud, he knows nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy and strife, reviling evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is gain from such withdraw yourself. Don't listen to that. Don't have those itching ears. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel includes obedience to the Lord and his word until the end. Grace is not in opposition to the law. Grace and law are in apposition. It means they work together. It means they work together in conjunction. And grace makes it possible to obey God in the things he wants us to obey. And the manner we are to obey them. So a confession of faith that produces no obedience is dead faith. Obedience is not legalism. Unless you are trying to obey to earn favor and salvation. Then it's legalism. Obedience comes from a heart that's been broken over sin and loves the Lord. That's the difference. 2 Thessalonians 1, 6-8 says, Since is it a righteous thing with God to repay with retribution those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh. So there's vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 1.5 says, Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations. 
Right? This is why we say like baptism is a part of obedience. Yes. Baptism, I mean, people always like, do I have to be baptized to be saved? And I'm like, well, if you're saved, why do you not want to be baptized? If you're saved, why don't you want to read your Bible? If you're saved, why don't you want to give? If you're saved, people always want to come find these loopholes and everything. Do I have to go to church if I'm saved? Well, if you're saved, why would you not want to be in church? You know, and I don't understand these things. I don't understand people sometimes because, you know what? I love the house of God. I want to be here every chance I can get. I love to worship God corporately, man. I love to be in his presence. I love his word. I love his spirit. I love his people. Why don't you? It's a rhetorical question. First Peter 3.21, there's also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. It's not the removal of the filth of flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the answer of a good conscience. It's obedience. Yes. It's obedience. Revelation 3.8, he says, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength, but you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So according to biblical faith, good deeds are evidence of true repentance. And the good deeds that Jesus praises are right there, keeping his word, not denying his name. Those are the deeds that he praises. He said, you have kept my word and not denied my name. That's what, that's what, that's what the Lord praises. If you want to know more, come September 8th at 2 o'clock, I'll tell you more about Revelation. Every letter to the church ends with the phrase, to him who overcomes. Not to the one who draws back or falls away, but continues until the end. Just, just, just like this, this walk is to the end of our life. This walk is till the end. Repentance, wait, repentance is just obedience to the end. It's obedience to the end. And, and, and God doesn't say you, you have to be like this perfect person in the way that we see perfection. He say, walk according to my ways. If you fall, repent, get up, keep going. The gospel is the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a power to escape hell. It's a power to overcome the devil. It's a power to overcome the world. It's a power to overcome sin. And any gospel that does not include the power of the Holy Spirit coming into people's lives in order to overcome is not the gospel of Jesus. And, and truly, Christianity is the only religion where God is getting inside you, where God wants to come live inside you. That's how we differ from other religions. Christianity is God said, I want to live in my people. I want to be in them, not just dwell among us. He wants to live inside of us. And it's power to overcome. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. It's power. It's power to overcome. It is power to walk through the most horrible things in this world and continue to be faithful to Christ. Uh, and I don't know if y'all know this. There, one of the one of the martyrs that Book of Revelation mentions, and um, early Christianity records this. And I can't think of his name right now. Um, 
I'll think of it in a minute. Anyways, he, he was put inside a bronze bull. It was a hollowed bronze bull. And he was put alive inside and roasted to death. They heated up the iron bull until he was seared to death on the inside. That's how they killed him. Why? Because he remained faithful to the end. Grace is not just power to overcome sin. It's power to overcome in this life. It's not just a past thing. It's an ever-present thing that's with me. It's power to overcome. It's power to endure. It's power to overcome the enemy. It's power to not give in to lies. It's power to not give in to the world. Not give in to the enemy. It's power. It's the power to overcome that if you will appropriate that power in your life. And the last part is the gospel is to be lived out in community. And perhaps a lot of people don't even know this, but individual Christianity has its roots in Gnosticism. Because part of Gnosticism was, if it was spiritual, it was private, it was considered good. If it was public and physical, it was considered bad. These were like core root things of Gnosticism. So even this idea of a, a private Christianity is not scriptural. It's not scriptural at all. It's to be lived out in community with other people. When you, when you read the book, of, when you read the book of Bible, I mean, the Old Testament's all to Israel. It's to a people, to groups of people. And the New Testament is written to a church or a pastor. Yes. The book of Revelation to the church of Ephesus, to the church of Smyrna, to the church, of the, to the church, to the church, to the church. Why? Because we're supposed to live in community with people. Right. We're supposed to be in community. We're a community of God. And my, my mom said this when I was a kid. I was not saved uh, as a child. I did not know the Lord at all. And um, a lot of you know my testimony. My, you know, my mom was uh, really bad into drugs and alcohol and stuff. And, um, you know, she said this to me all the time. She said, the closer you are to religion, the further you are from God. Yeah. And she claimed the Bible said this. She said, that, that's it. The Bible says that, Crystal. And Christianity is a religion. We say that. It's a religion. But religious rites are not bad if your heart is to please God. See, hopefully you shower religiously. Otherwise you're going to stink. It becomes religious if you go to church just because that's what you're supposed to do. But you can religiously attend church, not forsaking the gathering of the brethren because you love the house of God. You love his bride and everything outside fails in comparison. Same thing with tithing. You can become religious if only you give because that's what you're supposed to do. But you can religiously tithe because you love and honor the Lord with your substance. You you can take that with anything. It's like, I don't, I'm not into religion. I'm into spirituality. I'm like, oh, come on. The gospel of Jesus Christ is full. And we are to share the full gospel of Christ with others. Not leaving out parts. Don't be giving someone a new car with no tires or an engine, no steering wheel so they can't drive it. Give them the full gospel. Repent. Receive the Lord 
Jesus is real, and he died and rose again, and he's at the right hand of the Father. Your sins can be overcome. You don't have to live in them. You don't have to continue in them. There's power in the blood of Christ. Can someone come play? Uh, Angie, thank you. We're just going to pray for a minute. Please bow your heads. And I want to just give you an opportunity to respond to this message. You know, and, and I've been praying over this all day, and I was like, Lord, let, let people receive it. Because, listen, folks, this is life and this is death. This is life and this is death. Don't go building yourself a false idol and call it Jesus. And that's what you want to worship. Jesus is who he says he is. And his gospel is what he says it is. And if you don't know him, the Holy Spirit is here right now. And listen to me, there is a literal heaven and there is a literal hell. And we don't know when he's coming back and you you are not promised tomorrow. You don't even know when you're going to die. And if your sins are not forgiven, you're not going to be right on judgment day. There's people here that will pray with you. And if you need to meet Jesus for the first time, Come on up to the altar and someone will come pray with you. If you need to renew your life, if you say, man, I've been far away, I'm a prodigal. Come up here and we have deacons that will come pray with you. Don't miss this, don't miss this moment. And I'm going to stand before God for every word that I said here tonight. And guess what? I can stand before God with a clear conscience. Because I know what I've said is the truth of God's word. Salvation is free. If you would just bow down before him. And just receive his forgiveness. If you would receive it. Turn away from all that offends him and turn towards him. And he's waiting to receive you. To cleanse you and make you brand new. And there's nothing better than a fresh shower. (laughs) Especially after you've been working in pig's, pig's muck for a long time. You need to be cleansed. If the Lord spoke something to you, let him let the Holy Spirit just work on you for a minute, work that out in your heart. If you believe things that weren't true, let let God speak, let the Holy Spirit speak his truth to you. Folks, there's so much stuff going on out there. Yeah. Believe God's word and take it to heart. Study the word to show yourself approved of God. It's God's will that none perish. 
God cares about you and he, he loves you so much that he sent Christ to die. He provided a way out of your slop. But you have to take that way. It's his way. That's, that's the only way. It's his way or no way. Father God, I thank you for this word. God, I pray that that word was sown, Lord, would, would stay. I come against the enemy that would try to snatch it in the name of Jesus. Lord, that we keep it in our hearts and in our minds. We walk it out. That we share with people the word of God. And the time is short. Lord, we just give you all praise, all glory, and honor. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.